From Riverside Health System, this is the Healthy You Podcast, where we talk about a range of health-related topics focused on improving your physical and mental health. We chat with our providers, team members, patients, and caregivers to learn more about how to maintain a healthy lifestyle and improve overall physical and mental health. So let's dive into learn more about becoming a healthier you. All right. Well, I'm really excited today um, to have with me with at the Healthy You podcast, Bethany Edge. Bethany is a registered dietitian nutritionist. I'm really excited to have you with us today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Great, great. So we're going to be talking a little bit today about emotional eating um, and stress and what really drives that uh, and those hunger cravings. So me, myself, I'm a foodie. I love to eat. So I'm really excited to hear uh, and learn today uh, about that. Uh, Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you ended up in this particular field. Thanks for asking. Well, to start out with I was not a healthy person growing up. I haven't always been someone interested in food. I'm from Houston, Texas originally, which is the restaurant capital of the South. We have a lot of good restaurants. You can get any kind of food you want there. And growing up, it was not uncommon for us to eat out two to three meals a day sometimes. I didn't do sports. I did summer swim, but that was about it. I wasn't in any kind of sports year round. Watched a lot of TV growing up. Kind of typical American lifestyle that we're told isn't good for us. Right. And (laughs) my parents were great. Uh, They're great parents, but that just wasn't a focus of theirs. We weren't a health-centered family. Right. And then when I was in high school, I kind of had a rebellious bone in me. And I decided to get into food because it was just kind of a way to be different. And kind of be a a different person, maybe assert myself. Right. And through that journey, I went to college, I studied nutrition. And by the time I graduated with my bachelor's, I was like, this is not for me. I don't want to be a dietitian. I know I spent all this time getting my bachelor's, but I didn't want to go on and do the internship and a master's program and sit for the exam. So I found myself taking a job teaching high school and I taught high school culinary for two years. Okay. And I had my daughter in 2019. And following that, I had a lot of health problems. Right. I had already had some pre-existing issues just from growing up unhealthy. I especially had a lot of digestive issues, right. some mental health challenges. And then following having a child, I had hormonal issues and right. I was on a lot of medications. I was told I was going to have to be on them for a long time. And I just thought, hey, I have a degree in nutrition. I know that what I eat matters. Right. So I'm going to go back to square one. I was on a pretty extreme restrictive diet at this time that I thought was going to really change my life. Right. And I thought, you know what, I think I just, I think I need to eat everything. And I need to be a little bit more inclusive in my diet. And especially I was not eating enough protein. So I changed my diet. I got off of all of my medications. So I don't take anything prescription now. Okay. Um, And just over the last four years, it's been this progress of my health improving. And about a year in, I thought, I really have to share this. I do want to be a dietitian. Right. I want to help other people find whatever healing they can by just making a few changes with their diet. It really doesn't have to be extreme. So that's what I'm really passionate about is just teaching people to love food, to eat in a way that's nutritious and supports their health and recognizing, you know, that looks different for all of us, but let's find that best point for every person. Right. Um, It's just ironic to hear you say, I um, 
you know, had to go on a journey just to change my diet about 10 years ago because diabetes Mm -hmm. uh, ran in my family and hypertension. And I'm a nurse. I've been a nurse for 32 years, but I really had never read labels. I mean, I just ate what I wanted. And for a long time, I could maintain my weight. But once I hit a certain age, it just wasn't happening anymore. And then I became pre-diabetic. And then I went on a journey to kind of educate myself more around nutrition. And because I'm a foodie, I didn't want to exclude anything. So um, it's interesting to hear you you talk about that. Um, What would you suggest for someone who's starting that journey, right? Um, Because it's definitely a process. You know, identifying maybe health issues, Mm -hmm. maybe having a strong family history, and just wanting to begin the process of making better choices and educating themselves around, you know, dietary, um, how to, how to develop a dietary plan for themselves to, to make those improvements. Yeah. I think to start, I would just say, don't take yourself too seriously. Right. Because I think with food and we live in a culture where there's so much diet messaging, we can get really intense and we can have really strong feelings about what we're eating and how that reflects on our worth, our value, our morality, our self-control, things like that. And really what we find is that actually has a negative impact and it makes it harder to lose weight, harder to get healthy. So just going in with an attitude that being hungry is not bad. Okay. Food is not bad. Right. And you should eat food that you enjoy that's delicious. Right. And really just starting with what you like and finding ways to kind of round it out. That's usually what I do in my practice. So on my first visit with all of my clients, we write down everything they ate the day before. And I'm a big fan of my plate. It's what the USDA published that replaced the food pyramid okay. came out okay. in 2015. Right. But right. I like my plate because it's very inclusive. So we look at my plate, we look at what they ate, and we just say, okay, how can we tweak this? So if you ate a whole plate of spaghetti, I might say, well, you know, you have a grain from the noodles, there's vegetable in the tomato sauce protein and the meat so let's add in maybe another vegetable and a serving of dairy reduce the noodles a little bit okay and we just kind of tweak it to fit in that my plate template a little bit okay so we're not really taking out foods we're just adjusting what's on the plate Hmm, and maybe adding some things in right and just focusing on things you like if you don't like kale don't eat it (laughs) it's okay to pick something (laughs) you like right so focus on foods you like Don't take it too seriously. Don't worry too much. Don't feel like you have to give up the things you like. There is room for potatoes. There's room for pasta. Right. But keeping things in their place and then complementing them with other nutrient-dense foods can really bring true balance and moderation. Okay. That's, That's really good feedback. So let's talk a little bit about emotional eating. And what is emotional eating? <laughs> and I, I really feel like I'm an emotional eater, but I'm really excited to hear what, what you say is the definition of such. <laughs> yeah, so emotional eating is just anytime we're eating in response to our emotions. And a lot of times this is to maybe soothe ourselves, or it can also be to amplify it. So there's different sides of emotional eating. One stereotype would be, you just have a breakup with your boyfriend and you're eating a whole pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream to instead of, you know, filling your heart, you're filling your stomach. I sure have. I have, I've eaten a lot of that in, 
<laughs> in relation to heartbreak before, so I understand. I think I think a lot of women have. I've right. been there too. Right. So that's one side of emotional eating. But we can also eat in relation to boredom. So some of us are snackers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my husband. He's He loves to snack. He'll go through a whole thing of nuts. He's a boredom, emotional eater. Um, some of us, we eat emotionally in response to pain. I have a few clients. They have chronic issues with chronic pain, and they tell me, I eat because it helps distract me. It helps me feel good in spite of the pain. So that would be another form of emotional eating. Or there's also the example of positive moments where we might eat cake at a at a party or a wedding to celebrate right right so sometimes we're also eating in response to positive emotion so it's not always that negative stereotype it's just anytime we're eating we're not hungry we're more focused on the emotional the social situation Mm -hmm. and i would i would think that um people don't even realize they're emotional eaters um and when you talked about like keeping a writing down what you ate the day before Sometimes it may help you uncover that you are one because maybe it's associated with something that's going on, um, and and you're eating because of that. Because I don't, you don't hear a lot of people describe themselves as emotional eater. It took me a while to even mm-hmm. realize that. If I'm bored, like you said, I'll snack, um, and then I liked the crunch. So like potato chips, you know, <laughs> after yeah. late at night, or if I'm watching a movie. So I know I can't keep those kinds of things in the house because I will go eat them. Yeah, and I think what kind of masks a lot of people is they think, well, I'm not crying in bed eating cookies. Right. And they think because they're not doing it and they're not depressed all the time and eating in response to that, they're not emotional eaters. Right. But a lot of times if you really talk to them, ask them questions, I find in my practice that we do find examples of emotional eating. Yeah, I would think so for sure. Um, How can you distinguish between physical and emotional hunger? How do you differentiate the two? Well, one of the best tools in that situation to use is a hunger scale. Okay. So when you're thinking you're going to eat, just take a moment, touch in with your body, close your eyes, think about how you physically feel. On the hunger scale, we use one to 10. Mm -hmm. One to two, that's really hungry. This is where you're hangry, you're shaking. (laughs) Right. We want to avoid this because a lot of times when we eat at one to two, we tend to eat way past fullness right and you may find if you get too hungry that first bite of food it just tastes so good and it's hard to stop mm-hmm. you're kind of in a primitive hunger state right right three and four this is actually a can be a pleasant feeling of hunger so three to four that's when our food tastes better our senses are heightened hopefully this is when we would have a little bit more appetite so right. appetite is different than hunger in the sense it's a psychological desire to eat okay so you can have hunger without appetite and appetite without hunger I had a baby about six months ago. I can tell you the beginning of my pregnancy, I had hunger. I had no appetite. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of times with emotional eating, we have appetite without hunger. Okay. But three to four, that's when we want to eat. Five's neutral. Six and seven, that's when we start feeling full. And ideally, you should be able to go a couple hours without eating. Of course, if you're hungry, you should always eat. But it's better for our digestive tract to have periods of eating and then periods of not eating. So okay. you want to be able to go a few hours. At a seven, you should be able to go a few hours. And then eight up, that's when we start feeling uncomfortably full. So right. after Thanksgiving, after right. Mexican food with your girlfriends, yeah. they keep those chips coming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Moments like that. Yeah. That's when we feel unpleasant. Okay. So figuring out where am I on this hunger scale? If you're at a three or a four and you're feeling hungry, 
even if you're emotional, you might actually need to eat. Right. But if you're feeling at a five or a six and you're still feeling the desire to eat, maybe you're feeling more of an emotional hunger. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think you should ignore that cue. Your body's telling you something important. It might just be an opportunity to think, okay, I'm having an emotional craving. What do I actually need? Maybe I'm feeling lonely. And instead of food, which is not going to fix the loneliness, maybe I need a friend. And this hunger is telling me I need to call a friend. Or maybe I need to mm, go for a walk I and get outside. about it like that, yeah. So taking it as an invitation to just think, okay, I need something. Is it food? Or is it something that's going to nourish my mind? Right, right. Differentiating the yeah, two. Yeah, definitely. Never thought about so that's really describing the signs of emotional eating mm-hmm. somewhat, right? Like what you describe to your point, you you need something, you feel you need something, you automatically think it's food, stop and take a moment um, and reflect, hey, you may be lonely or, or it's a craving for something else. Never thought about it like that. Yeah. Don't okay. ignore it. Don't ignore it. Okay. But maybe just change how you would respond. Yes. When does it become a problem? I think that's really a personal evaluation. But if you're feeling guilt, shame, overwhelmed, out of control, if it's feeling unmanageable to you, it's probably a problem. Regardless of how often it does or does not happen, if you are feeling overwhelmed by your episodes of emotional eating, it's probably time to reach out and get help. Okay. And so where would would you find help in that space? Is that more on... uh, you can reach out to, if we were to tell our viewers, where would you suggest they reach out for help if they feel like that um, has reached that limit for them? Mm-hmm. There's kind of some overlap here in okay. scope of practice and where you can find help. So I'm a dietitian. Dietitians can help with that. A lot right. of us specialize in that relationship with food. Right. That's a big part of what we do. It's not just lose weight right. or feeding tubes and things like that. We really work on helping people build healthy relationships. And then licensed professional counselors also have training, and many of them specialize in eating disorders just in a broad spectrum. So that would be another resource, although just any kind of counselor could probably be helpful depending on what's driving your emotional eating. If you have this longstanding emotional issue that is driving you to eat, maybe you're going through a divorce or you had you know a traumatic experience something like that counselor would definitely be extremely helpful right and in some situations you might like both right I have clients that come to see me for this and then they also see a counselor and they get two different types of support that right. help them work through this same issue yes yes I know for me it's becoming more and more challenging um, at a certain age and I feel like I I do a fairly decent job with trying to monitor and track what I eat but the belly you know, around this abdominal girth area becomes challenging. And every time I go to the doctor, they'll say carbs. Mm-hmm. I'll say this is associated with carbs. So um, for someone that you're developing a plan for, I'm sure many things, and, and you always hear, make sure you're drinking plenty of water because sometimes you're, you are you may not be hungry just taking that water and that exercise. And So um, what are your thoughts about that? Like, I I know you can't do a full evaluation and plan on me, but what are Mm -hmm. some of the key components when you're working with someone that you incorporate in in their daily plan to -hmm. support them? Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing I start most of my 
clients on, we just really focus on protein. Okay. And that's the first step for a number of reasons. First, protein, when we eat it, it digests down into something called amino acids. Okay. And amino acids are what our brains use to produce neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin. Okay. Both of these play a role in emotional eating and just general appetite regulation. Mm-hmm. So when we eat a high carbohydrate meal, a high sugar meal, it actually leads to a big release of dopamine in the brain. And so we get kind of this high feeling. We feel really good after we eat. And a lot of people will tell me, you know, after I eat a meal, I just feel relaxed. Right. Some people have said Some it makes their pain better. people sing while they're eating. Like babies, you notice yes. how they hum? Oh. Like they- <laughs> My little six-month-old, I fed him banana the other day, and after every bite, he went, mmm. Yeah, <laughs> it was so cute. Right. <laughs> so we actually, there's a reason, because yes. we get this feeling. We get a little high. Mm. It's kind of similar to how alcohol affects the brain. Right. Doesn't mean carbs are bad. We right. do need them. But having enough protein in the diet means one, we're just going to have more of those amino acids. It's going to be easier for our brain to keep a healthy level of dopamine, keeping us from having that dip where we're craving, we're kind of self-medicating with food. We want to avoid that. The other reason is we're going to have enough serotonin if we're having enough protein in the diet. And that just helps regulate our appetite so that we have a more consistent and appropriate rhythm of hunger and fullness. We also need protein. It signals the release of a hormone in the small intestine called peptide YY, and that tells our brains we've had enough to eat. I've heard that since nursing school. (laughs) We don't talk about it enough, but you have to have protein to feel full. It's really important. So I tell people, you know, just start by eating protein, even if you're going to eat whatever. If you're going to have ice cream, make it a sundae. You need to have fresh fruit with it, get some fiber in there, and then put some nuts on top. Sometimes okay. it's even good. I just drizzle plain peanut butter on top, and that tastes really good. Yeah, I love peanut butter. And there you get some protein, <laughs> right. a little bit more fiber, some fat. So all of those work together to help us feel full. So we just want to practice That's getting in that rhythm, feeling full, learning to feel full, because if we cut things out or we add things in, it doesn't matter what we, t- we try to do with our diet. If an individual is not feeling full, it's going to be really hard for them to stay away from the snacking that and all they that. Want to eat right. In smaller amounts. Right. Right. Typically, I hear like 30 grams of protein, you know, mm-hmm. a handful. Is there a max amount you need to be careful uh, as it relates to how much protein you take in daily or no? Uh, typically, no. Okay. Unless you have been told you're on a protein restricted diet. Okay. So, for some individuals, if you have kidney failure, right. you might have to be mindful. But for the average person who doesn't have a condition that limits their protein intake, it would be unusual that you're eating too much protein. I mean, maybe if you're really just eating nothing but lean meat and spinach, which I have met people who do that, that's not really a good situation. But the thing I really like about MyPlate, and you can go look it up on myplate.gov. Okay. It shows you it has, we have five food groups. So protein, which I mostly recommend you would use Meat, fish, poultry, things like that in that category. Okay. Non-starchy vegetables, fruits, whole grains, okay. and dairy. Those are five food groups. If you're eating a serving of all of those at your meals, it's just going to be really difficult to overconsume carbs, okay. overconsume protein, overconsume fat, because it's only taking up a quarter of your plate. Right. And those other foods are going to help you feel full. So it kind of goes back to that what does true moderation and balance look like? Mm -hmm. It looks like eating a little bit of everything. And then of course, going back to kind of your original question, 
starting a plan. So I always recommend protein and then using a hunger scale. Okay. Because hunger scale is really valuable. It's more valuable than counting calories for the average person, I would say, because every day is different. Especially you and I are women. Right. Our bodies change a lot throughout our lifetime. Right. We have different cycles that might affect our nutritional needs. Yes. yes. Calorie usage, you know, counting calories, that has limited usage right. in just daily life. I think it's more helpful to just learn to listen to your hunger. It's also easier and you're more likely to stay with it long term. And there's research that shows intuitive eating, such as using a, a Hunger scale actually produces more long-term weight loss than something like calorie counting. I I would have to agree with that as well. That is some really good information. (laughs) I'm going to immediately look up my plate. Awesome. And you're seeing a lot more of different eating styles like vegetarian, pescatarian. Um, um, I know that I'm trying some of those things. And my challenge, and I'm glad you mentioned some of those, you know, the nuts, is to how do you supplement the other protein if you're not taking in some of those other lean meats, mm-hmm. right? Um, so you're, we're hearing a lot about that. Do you, are you seeing a shift um, as it relates to the clients that you're working with and different type of diets? Um, yeah, I think yeah. a lot of people are interested in vegetarianism, and a lot of people are also interested in keto. Right. Um, and a lot of times, even people may have had these diets recommended to them by their providers. My stance, I like a more inclusive diet. I okay. think there's always been a bad guy. <laughs> At one point in time, it was fats, then it was carbs. I think right. we're seeing the beginning. It's kind of protein. Right. No one says protein, but they say more like animal foods. Right. But the protein content is really different. So a quarter pound of lean meat cooks down to three ounces. That's one serving. That's about 20 to 25 grams of protein. Okay. To get the same from beans, you would have to eat a cup and a half to two cups. (laughs) I don't know about you. (laughs) I don't have time to eat two cups a day (laughs) or two cups of beans a day at every meal. Right. I don't have time to be in the bathroom from doing that. Mm. It's just an excessive amount of food. Right. And then how are you going to have room for leafy greens and fresh fruits and vegetables and dairy, right? Now, beans are amazing. They're the right. king of fiber. They definitely belong in At, every in diet, diet if you can right. tolerate them. Right. So they're great, and they're a great supplemental source of protein. There are a lot of great sources of lean meat that can be incorporated into a diet. And again, going back to my plate, true moderation, okay. a lot of times the dose makes the poison. So standard American diet, what I see with my clients, most people are eating three food groups. Okay. They're eating meat, grains, a lot of times it's refined, white white rice, white flour type things, and dairy. Right. And because that's all they're eating, they're eating more of it than they should to feel mm-hmm. full. But mm-hmm. if they just ate a little less of that and ate more fruits and vegetables with it, it's not necessarily that we have to get rid of anything or that we can restrict ourselves to health or that right. if you cut out one food group, that's right. the magic ticket to getting healthy, right. losing weight, all of this stuff. It's really just learning, again, to bring in that balance Every food group has vitamins and minerals that are essential and are hard to get if you cut out that food group. So without, you know, meat, you won't get enough. Iron, it's really hard to get enough. Iron, just in general minerals for blood health. Without dairy, we can't have calcium. Without whole grains, we're going to go low on certain minerals. Also hard to get enough fiber. Fruits and vegetables, we all know the benefits of those. Lots of vitamins and minerals, good for weight maintenance, things like that. So everything has its place. I would advise everyone, if you hear these diets, unless you have a very specific health condition where you can't eat those foods, 
Right. Someone's telling you the magic ticket is to cut out a food group. <laughs> it's ignore. not true. <laughs> this is very, very educational. And so when you're looking to, I was always told that really increasing that fiber intake really helps counteract carbs. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. The way fiber works, fiber is just kind of a moderator when it okay. comes to digestion. Okay. So fiber helps food move through our digestive tract at a very stable rate. Not too fast, not too slow. It also helps us absorb a steady rate of carbohydrate. Also helps with moderating cholesterol. So really important to have good fiber. Helps keep you regular, good poops, good healthy (laughs) microbiome. Right. But really the problem in a low fiber diet is that our bodies are going to absorb a lot of sugar from our digestive tract really quickly. And even if you don't have diabetes, you can have a blood sugar problem where your blood sugar spikes. Mm -hmm. And then your body's like, oh no. There's way too much sugar in the bloodstream. Right. right. Your pancreas releases a lot of insulin, and then it drops. And it's called reactive hypoglycemia. This is actually associated with anxiety and depression. So kind of going back to emotional eating, keeping good blood sugar levels, which hint, hint, protein is super important for this as well. Okay. Really will help keep you from having mood swings that drive you to emotionally Emotion. eat. I'm going to go drink my protein shake. That I have. <laughs> 30 grams of protein right after this podcast. That is a lot of good information. I know it, you know, sometimes as healthcare professionals, we can be the worst. <laughs> yes, we can be the worst taking patients. care of ourselves. So <laughs> really, really great information for me. Um, talk about how someone can reach out and connect with you or your team Um, If they're starting this journey or or really want to educate themselves more or um, hear more about the resources and the support you can provide in your space. Absolutely. So if you want to meet with me, I'm at the Riverside Wellness and Fitness Center. I take appointments Monday morning and then I have some Thursday afternoon and evening appointments. So I can work with a lot of work schedules. Okay. And the best way is to just give me a call 757-813-9693. I'm only there two days a week, so leave a voicemail if you don't get a hold of me, and I'll call you back. Otherwise, reach out to a counselor. That's another great resource. Or if you're not ready to reach out yet, a great resource I recommend to all my clients is the Intuitive Eating Workbook. And you can buy that on Amazon. It's about $18, I think. Intuitive Eating Workbook. Yes. Okay. And that's a great way to just get started. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, I may come see you myself. I I'd think love to have you. I think it's good to re-educate, <laughs> re-educate yourself. Um, you know, it's a commitment. And mm-hmm. the more that you know, um, the better you can do. Absolutely. So thank you so much. Thank you. I've really enjoyed having you today, and you're always welcome to come back. And before we sign off, is there anything else you would like to say to our listeners today? I think I'm just going to repeat what I said earlier. Don't take yourself too seriously. Eating should be fun. Yes. Eat good food, not too much, mostly plants. I didn't say that Michael Pond said it, but it's good advice. And protein. (laughs) And protein. Yes. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Beth. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy You. We're so glad you were able to join us today and learn more about this topic. If you would like to explore more, go to RiversideOnline.com.